We're continuing on our series. You, of course, if you're in your small groups or you're doing the handout, which is in your bulletin, your small groups have already done this work um, on the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4. You'll see that this is a prayer. He says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. And so Paul is now explaining to the Ephesians the prayer that he prays for them. And he's sort of praying it as he's explaining it, so you can read it as a prayer or you can read it as Paul's description of his prayer. And he's praying again. The main thing you want to see here is that he's praying for power and he's praying for strength again. And uh, this is a common theme that he's continued through the first couple of chapters. But this time, the power that he's praying for is a little bit different than before. It's a power. First of all, it's a power. It's working in a very particular sphere or area of influence. It's a power that is accomplishing a very specific purpose. And it's a power that has a basis on a very specific quality of God. So there's four things that we're going to look at this morning in this text so that hopefully you can easily identify them. Again, it's, a, it's power. It's working in a particular place. It's accomplishing a particular purpose. And it's doing so based on a very particular or specific quality of God. Those are those four things that we're looking at in the text. And we're looking at Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. And that's the text that we'll stick to. I'm not as brave as my co-pastor Chris, who tackled the entire text last week. I'm cheating and just taking half of it. And, uh, but there is a lot packed in here, and so we'll be good with that. Uh, let's just read Ephesians 4, 3, 14 to 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. So hopefully you picked up there. I kind of preempted you with those four things so that as we were reading that, hopefully you could see the four things that kind of jumped out there. First of all, that Paul is clearly praying that the Ephesians have power. He says, be strengthened with power through his spirit. And the significance here of of strength and power, Paul keeps coming back to power in this text. You remember back in chapter 1, in Ephesians 1, 19 and 20, he talked about immeasurable power. He talked about the power that is working uh, to his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. Paul is emphatic here about getting across to the Ephesians that he wants them to know the power of God. And as Paul prays here, the means by which we receive this power is again the Holy Spirit. As it is elsewhere in this letter and elsewhere in Scripture, it is through His Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the agent that brings us this power. But Paul's clearly 
praying and preaching here about power, but this time the power that Paul is talking about or the strength is a little bit different, which is the second point, because this power that Paul is talking about, this strength, he wants it to work in a particular sphere. He wants it to work in a particular place. He says, in your inner being. Now, the area of operation of this power in our inner being it's not a common phrase. Paul doesn't use it very often, but in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 17, we see Paul use this same expression. He says there, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Same, same phrase, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So what, what's Paul talking about here then when he talks about the inner self? Well, we see that the inner self is what still remains when the physical is gone. Paul concludes his statement there in 2 Corinthians saying, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Things that are seen are temporary or temporal, but the things that are unseen, again referring to the inner self, are eternal. So Paul says there's our physical being and there is an inner being. And Paul is distinguishing between them, the inner self, which is eternal, the external self, which is wasting away. The outer self, it suffers affliction. The inner self will outlast these afflictions. And so when Paul is praying for power for the Ephesians and for us, he's not praying, notice this, for power over external things. Paul is not praying that you have power over sickness or you have power over your enemies or you have power over your circumstances. Paul is not praying that the Christians have strength and power over these temporary temporal things that are on the outside that are passing away no paul is praying here not for the external but the internal paul is praying for an inner power it's not a power over temporal or temporary things but a power over the inner self which is eternal so this power and strength that paul is praying for it is power it's power by the holy spirit power from god that resurrection power but it's not power over the world. It's not power over the outside of things. It's inner strength. It's inner self power that he's talking about. And so Paul is emphasizing that this power is operating in a specific sphere. He wants us to have inner strength. And then thirdly, that this power is accomplishing a particular purpose. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So this purpose is important. He doesn't pray that we have strength over the outer circumstances. It's inner, lasting power. And then he says the purpose of this power is that we have Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith. And what I want you to see here is the inner power that Paul wants for us is transformational power. The power that Paul wants for the Ephesians is to transform them. Why do I say that it's transformational? Because the significance here of the purpose of the power, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, is transforming. And it, it does sound a bit strange when you read that from Paul, if you stop to think about it. Paul is writing to a church in Ephesus. He's writing to a whole bunch of Christians, and he's praying for them that they would have power in their inner self so that Christ may dwell in their hearts. And you would think, but doesn't Christ already dwell in my heart? Right? I mean, these are Christians. I'm a Christian. We already have invited Christ. We've already believed by faith that Jesus is God, and so... We are saved and we have Christ dwelling in our hearts. 
So why does Paul pray this to Christians? Why does Paul pray especially that they have this supernatural Holy Spirit power of Christ dwelling in their hearts? Seems a strange thing to say to Christians. Well, the Greek word here that Paul uses, we do have to dig a little bit for why Paul would say something strange like that to Christians. The Greek word that Paul uses here is a little stronger than what he would normally have written for dwell. So in Greek, if you want to say somebody lives somewhere, you say, uh, you say oikeo. Okay? Oikeo means to dwell or to inhabit, like you, you reside somewhere. But when Paul writes this verse here, he, he, he emphasizes the verb okeo, and he uses a stronger version of it, and he just says katokeo, which means more accurately to settle down into and to dwell fixedly in a place. So some people oikeo, and some people katoikeo, okay? And if you katekeoyo, you are not moving. This is where you are going to be. You have settled down and you dwell in that place and you make that place your home. This is not just like you're on vacation in Florida like some people already are this day while we're stuck here in the drizzle and the cold, right? They're, they're oikeoing in Myrtle Beach and places like that. <clears throat> Graham. And... Uh, <laughs> But they don't katokeo in Myrtle Beach, right? This is where they dwell. And this is the point that Paul is making here. When he says this kind of strange phrase that these Christians would have Christ dwell in their hearts, what he means is I want you to have power in your inner being for Christ to make his home there, to settle down and reside. I want Christ to take up residence and establish himself in your heart through faith. And so when you get this idea of of settling down in and you combine that with the idea that Paul has of power being required, then you come up with something here that Paul is talking about that is kind of like the fixer-upper demo day, right? Any HGTV fans here, right? You know, and they got that flagship show with Chip and Joanna Gaines, fixer-upper, right? And you get about 10... You know what I'm talking about. I know you know what I'm talking about because nobody doesn't not watch Chip and Joanna Gaines fix up a house, It's compelling television, right? But this is what you get about 10 minutes in. They look around. They find these old beat-up houses and sad and tired, and they got, you know, mold in the carpet, and there's water in the basement, and the roof is coming off. And then you get about 10 or 15 minutes into the show, and they're explaining what they're going to do, and then what happens, right? They're standing there. They're talking, and it's their favorite, Chip's favorite day, right? It's demo day. Right, And you see them, then there's like a montage of him crashing through walls and sledgehammering out cabinets and all of that stuff, right? And so what you have is people who are going to dwell with power in a place, right? This is power tool time for dwelling here, right? Chip is going to get out the heavy guns and he is going to dwell in this place. And he has to take it apart and demo it, smash through walls, rip up tile, chainsaw the posts, all of that stuff. They are going to build from that sad, tired little house a dwelling place that someone is going to inhabit, that someone is going to cherish, that somebody is going to love, right? And then you get to the end of the show and they pull back the thing, you know, you want to see your fixer-upper and then they see it and people are like blown away by this incredible mansion that they have built out of a hovel. Okay, so this is the idea when Paul says Christ is going to come in power through the Holy Spirit and settle down in your heart understand what he wants for these Christians is the powerful presence of Christ basically renovating their heart, saying this, I'm going to make this my home. I'm going to take out that old kitchen. I'm going to rip out the moldy carpet. 
right? Because that's what we discover when Christ comes into our life. We discover that we are the people of the moldy carpet, right? We are the people of the lead pipes. We are the people of the knob and tube wiring that has to get pulled out and replaced. And Jesus says, I'm going to come and dwell in your heart with power and I'm going to pull that stuff out and I'm going to renovate and I'm going to make this my home and I'm going to rebuild it. And that's why I say Paul is talking here about transformational power in the inner being. Christ discovers that he needs to renovate when he comes to dwell in our inner being, in our hearts. Galatians 4.19 says it this this way, that Christ may be formed in you. Or you could go to Romans 8, 9 to 15. You could go to Colossians 3, 9 to 11. I'm not going to get into those things. They all speak to God working with power to transform us. And Paul is praying for transformation to make us mature. So Paul basically says that we have power through the Spirit working on our eternal inner being so that Christ takes up residence in us to make our inner being, our heart, His dwelling place. And He's moving in to transform it so that we are changed in our inner being. And that's great, but then what is this power? How does it show up? And what we need to see here is this next block of text that Paul is explaining how this magnificent power arrives and transforms us. And this is, and I've gone quickly over the first three points because really this is the heart of what I want to get to today. This next block of text tells us how this transforming power should be showing up in our life. It's incredible. It's based on a very specific quality of God that he wants to use to transform us. So we'll take the whole block of text together and see what I mean. This power shows up in love. He says that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. There's four things I want to unpack about how this power operates through love. The power that Paul is talking about is literally the power of God's love. This first thing is the significance of being rooted and grounded in love. And there's two pictures there that Paul uses. And he'll continue to use these two word pictures of rooted and grounded. And it's a foundation for a house being grounded or it's roots of a tree growing up. And they're common images that Paul uses. They're common images that Scripture uses. You could go to Psalm 1, 1 to 3, very popular, very well-known section of the Psalms. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers." You see this biblical image that Paul's tapping into of of roots going down deep by a river so that this tree grows up and bears fruit even in drought. Or Peter uses the same language as well in 1 Peter 2, 4-5. He says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You see, Peter's using this same imagery of a foundation and then stones being built up. And Paul says here in Ephesians, he says, I want you rooted and I want you grounded on a firm foundation in in love. And I won't belabor that point, but just emphasize its importance in this passage. 
It's really key to understanding where the transformational power of Jesus comes from, where the maturity is going to come from, where does that great, mature, fruit-bearing tree come from, where does that strong tower, where does that temple of God arise from? It comes from deep roots and a firm foundation, Paul says, rooted and grounded in love. It comes down to the very bedrock of who we are and what we're building on. But then Paul expands on that. He says, rooted and grounded in God's love, you have to know the magnitude of this love. And that requires strength in itself. We can't know the magnitude or even glimpse or have a picture of the magnitude of God's love without Christ strengthening us to be able to know it. You understand what I'm saying? God's love is so magnificent and so expansive and so infinite that Paul is saying you actually need the strength of Christ to be able to comprehend it. And notice here that Paul is not praying a prayer that we love God more. Isn't that interesting? That's a good prayer. We should pray that we love God more. It's Our hearts are built to love God and we should all of our affection and all of our treasure and all of our cherishing and all of our desire should be towards God. But Paul here is not praying, you Ephesians should love God more. He's saying, no, I'm praying so that you know God's love of you, not that you love God more. I want you to have the strength and the power to know how much God loves you, to comprehend his incomprehensible love. And Paul, you can see where Paul just goes into his normal... I don't have enough words for this. And he just starts piling on superlatives, right? You know, he's trying to explain why we need this power to measure God's love. And and it's like, how do you measure love? Do you measure love by the kilogram? Do you measure it by the bushel? Is it by the bush cord? Like, how do you get your arms around God's love? And Paul starts out with units of length, right? He says, oh, that you would know how wide and long and high and deep, how... How wide is the love of God? And we see that in Revelation 7, 9 to 10, where it says every tribe and tongue and nation, God's love is so wide it encompasses all people, all ethnicities, all social classes are not too wide for God's love. Or how long is God's love? Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never leave or forsake you. Psalm 139, David is saying, there is no place I can go to escape your love. Everywhere I go, God, you are there. That's how long it is. How high is it? It says, we will be not, sorry, we don't know what will be has not been made known to us, but we will be like Christ. 1 John 3, 2 says, he says, we don't even know what we will be. What we will be has not been made known to us. God has lifted us up and seated us at the right hand with Jesus Christ. How high is the love of God? It's as high as the throne of heaven. Deep, he goes into Philippians 2, 6-8. How deep is the love of God? You could look at Philippians 2 and Christ who says, not counting equality with God, something to be grasped. Jesus humbled himself to become obedient to death on a cross. God's love is wide. It is long. It is high. It is deep. Paul's trying to get his arms around just how magnificent the love of God is. And then he just runs out of ways of explaining it. You know, he's, he's trying by the Spirit to just lift the veil on the mystery of the glory of God so that his readers and we can see just a little glimpse more of just how magnificent God's love is. And so Paul's pushing our minds outwards in order to expand a little bit to capture the greatness of God's love. And so he leaves linear measurements behind and then he just starts talking in paradoxes. Like he just starts talking crazy talk, right? He says that you would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Okay, Paul, sure. 
we're going to know what surpasses knowledge, right? And then he goes on and he says that you would be filled with the fullness of God. Okay, so we're going to take the ocean and put it in a thimble. I get it, Paul, right? Like we are going to somehow contain the fullness of God here, God of the universe, who's outside the universe, who made the universe. You want us to contain the fullness of God in ourselves. So let's know what is unknowable and let's contain what is uncontainable, right? Like Paul's just, he's just trying to get their minds expanded to say, this is the power I want you to have to know the love of God, which is incomprehensible. And so Paul says we need strength to comprehend God's love. And then he goes back, and I I don't want to miss this. This is the third point about God's love that Paul wants to get across to us. That Paul says something, and it just slips right by. He slips it in, and I don't want to miss it. I actually read over it. I didn't see it till the fourth time I read it. I read right over it three times, and it didn't dawn on me before I noticed. Paul says that this rooting and this grounding and this knowledge of God's love comes at the start of verse 18, together with all the saints. He didn't have to say that, right? The the verses would have made total sense, would have been just as encouraging and everything else. But Paul specifically says that you would know this together with all the saints, the love of God that surpasses knowledge and all of these things, right? And so the comprehension and the strength does not come on our own. I think Paul's very intentional here by the Holy Spirit to include this phrase. To really deeply experience the love of God, to really have the strength to comprehend it, to to experience the richness of it and the fullness of it that God intends, you have to be in concert with God's people. Paul is not at all keen on the idea that our faith, our Christianity, our walk is a private solo affair. And we hear lots of people, probably in your own families, you have lots of people that are like, oh yeah, God and I have an understanding and I have a relationship, but you know, that's between me and God. And, you know, I like to work it out with him while I'm on the golf course or, you know, when I'm out sailing or, you know, when I'm driving in the car, then I have my time with God. And I don't need church. I don't need other Christians. You know, it's just me and God and I'm fine. Paul would have none of that. Paul would say, your faith is not a solo project. If you want to comprehend the magnitude of the love of God, well, you never will because it's unknowable. But if you just want to have a sliver of it, a piece of it, if you want to have the inner strength and the inner power, the transforming power of Christ coming, like chip gains and taking up residence with power tools in your heart and transforming you and maturing you, if you want to grow up like that tree or be built like that temple, he says it's together with all the saints. It's in the body of Christ that we know these things. So when reformation and revival really break through, right? if you just step back and you think of times when reformation and revival have really broken through in a church community, you will find a church to which people say, look how they love one another. Look how they are willing to sacrifice for each other. It is the love that a church is blossoming in and showing to each other when we see a church on fire defining characteristic is love. That's how God's power is operating in us. He's operating by love. And then Paul closes off this sentence of his prayer with one final petition that comes from this rooting and grounding and knowledge together with all the saints. He says that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So this is what Paul is saying. It's a a phrase that he uses to mean fully mature. And he's going to say it again at the end of the text that you did your homework on if you're in your small groups or you work through the rest or the beginning of chapter 4. 
In Ephesians 4.13, Paul closes off this section of text by saying, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that phrase, attain the fullness of Christ or attain the fullness of God, means mature. Paul, Paul wants us to be mature. Remember I said the point of this power is that it's transforming power, that it's maturing us, that it's changing us. So here it is. It's power operating in our inner being based on love to accomplish this purpose, to transform us, to bring us to maturity. And Paul wants these people to experience such power that they, along with the other Christians that they are together with as a church, can grasp God's love so that they can become mature. Because otherwise they won't. That's that's the bottom line of this text. Paul is saying, I bow my knees, I bend my knees that you would know the love of Christ and have the power to understand it so that you will have Christ dwell in you and be transformed because you won't become mature unless this prayer is answered. We won't become mature until we understand the love of God towards us, until we grasp it and until that power of love is transforming our hearts and Christ is dwelling with us. So Paul wants them to come to maturity. And God's love is how we mature. And doesn't that seem obvious in retrospect? I mean, any of us who are parents know this, that our children mature in the love that we show them. And that as we have, in seasons that we are not proud of, withdrawn our love or appeared to withdraw our love from our children, or our children couldn't perceive our love, their maturity stopped. Right? And we see it in our culture. We see it in families, in our church, and in our community. Where we see children, I imagine some of the educators and some of the people working in healthcare know this a lot. We see children that come from families where the love of the parents is not very apparent. And the maturity of that child has halted. It's ceased. They are stuck in immaturity because they cannot thrive without love. We know it in our own lives. Right? Some of us who came from families where we did not feel the love of our parents in a particular area or for a particular season, we still carry with us the baggage of that immaturity in that part of our life because we were never fully loved in that way. And we're still only by the grace of God maturing in that area because God's love has come in and replaced the love that we missed or that we were missing. And all of us are at various stages of that because none of us are perfect parents and none of us had perfect parents, okay? So it's okay to say there were parts of my life where I wasn't loved. There are times when I didn't feel loved. There are times when my parents couldn't express love in that way. And so I'm kind of stunted in this part of my emotional maturity because I never had love there, you know? Or I admit, you know, I messed... I mean, look at Isaac. I mean, come on, really. (laughs) Right? I'm waiting for his therapy bill. Um, You know, we're not perfect parents. We're not perfect parents, right? And so we just have to deal with the reality that when, when Paul draws this connection between knowing the love of God and our maturity, we just know in our hearts this is true. Where love is withdrawn, maturity ceases, and we end up with broken and hurt children who become broken and hurt adults because the love wasn't there. And it's only by the grace of God. God comes in and says, no, my love, you can still mature there. You can still grow up. I love you. 
And, and it's, not a, it's not a perfect scenario, right? It's not a perfect one-to-one correlation. Some kids receive very little family love and they grow up better than normal, right? But we know those are the exceptions. And we know that sometimes there's kids that have all the love in the world and, you know, they you know, just can't seem to make a go of it in life. I know it's not a perfect correlation, but we know that where there is love, there's opportunity for growth and maturity. And, and where there's a lack of love, growth gets stunted, And then verse 20 to 21, I'm actually just going to skip over. You know, it's great though. Well, I'll just touch on it. Verses 20 to 21 talks about how this power of Christ is working in us. And when this power is working in us, then we are able to accomplish more than we ask or imagine. And and just really quickly, one way of thinking about that is is that as Christians, we go to God and we pray and we say, God, this is what we want to do or this is what I want to have happen. And, And God says, you know, well, you could ask for more, but we don't dare hope for more. So we just do that. And then God does that in our life. And then we come back and we say, God, you know, this happened in my life or we accomplished this ministry or we did this. And God says, yeah, I know I was going to do more, but, but can we now, can I do this in my life now? Can you do this for me? And God says, yeah, I'll do that. You could ask for more, but I'll do that. And then we go away and that happens. And then we come back and we say, God, that happened too. Now I'm asking for more. And he's like, yeah, it was more from the beginning. Just ask for more. Cause I'm going to give you more. We can do more than we ask or imagine in God. And he keeps proving as we go through our Christian life, we look back over last year, it's like, well, God did all that. And then we go another year, it's like, well, God did even more. And then we go another year, it's like, well, God did even more. Yeah, God's going to keep doing more. He can do more than we ask or imagine as we comprehend and grasp the love of God, that the God of the universe loves us and indwells us powerfully. He wants to do more. And so go boldly in your prayer, Paul is saying, because God will do more than you can imagine out of the depth of his love so let's pray boldly and act boldly in that love but anyway that's a whole other sermon so i gotta skip that one the point was that we have this power that is working on the inner being it's the sphere is our inner self for transformation that this power comes through the spirit that it is the power of love but that this power is for maturity and so let's just bookend this text with the text that paul ends uh this week on 416 where Paul is making his conclusion. And just just see if we're on the right track, if this is what the prayer really meant. In the beginning of chapter 4, Paul's speaking about the practical expression of this love as we mature through unity and also through the gifts of the Spirit. So he's saying as you grow up in this love, there's going to be unity. And as you grow up and are mature, you're going to see the expression of these spiritual gifts, which we won't get into because that was your your homework and your groups. But then he, he finishes it in the conclusion. And he says in 4, 15, and 16, he says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. (laughs) We were right. Paul is indeed talking about maturity in love, isn't he? He's saying when it's working properly, you are going to grow like a tree that's rooted and be built like a house on a foundation. It's those same two word pictures. You are going to grow and be built up in love when you are fully mature. It's incredible. Be rooted to grow. Be grounded to build. A tree growing, a house being built, both of them in love. Be rooted in love to grow in love. Be grounded or have a foundation in love to be built up in love. And again, notice here just one little phrase that he puts in here that I think is important to put it in context. Paul says, when each part is working properly. In other words, Paul says, 
when the church is working as intended, this is one of my new phrases. I say this a lot now. If you're on the elders board or you're in a, in a ministry leadership meeting or something like that, I will bring this up all the time. I will say, is the church working as intended? Because when the church is working as intended, these are the things we will see. And that's exactly, Paul's just paraphrasing me here, really. Um, he's saying, oh no, wait a minute. I'm paraphrasing Paul. He's saying, when each part is working properly, when each part of the church is working properly, when church is working as intended, then we will grow and build ourselves up in love. And the church doesn't always work as intended. Sometimes a part of the body gets hurt. Sometimes one part of the body won't cooperate with another part. Some parts of the body try to walk away from the other parts. I don't even know how that's possible. But when it's working as intended, when it's working properly, Paul says this is the result you'll see. Growth in love. Building up in love. That is the sign of a church, of a body that is working as intended. That is the sign of a believer that's working as intended. What is true for the church is true for the believer. What is true for the believer is true for the church. If a believer is rooted and grounded in love, they are being built up and the sign is that they are growing and maturing in love. And when a church is rooted and grounded, it is maturing and growing as in love. Now you can stop and you can say, is there also going to be justice? Will there also be purity? Will there also be righteousness? Will there also be self-denial? Will there also be truth spoken in love? Will there also be generosity? Will there also be hope? Yes, of course, all of those things too. But Paul has chosen here in Ephesians specifically love to be the key character of God to which to be rooted and grown up in. He doesn't say be rooted and grow up in justice. He doesn't say be rooted and grow up even in righteousness. He doesn't say be rooted and grow up in hope. He says, be rooted and grow and have a foundation in love. Just like in Galatians 5, love is the fruit of the Spirit. Just like in 1 Corinthians 13, love is the primary attribute that gives meaning to all other religious activity. Love is the context in which a healthy Christian grows. Love is the context in which a church which is working as intended and everything else will follow after. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, they all follow love. And so you will be a church with justice and hope and hospitality and generosity. All of those things will follow if you are grounded in love. Because if a church is building something other than love, then it's not growing right. If, if the body is grounded in something other than love, then it isn't maturing healthily. Love is the litmus test. Love is the barometer. Love is the filter through which we can test the health of ourselves and the health of the church. And so just imagine with me for a moment, if everything we did was out of love, Imagine if we based every response from our mouth on love. If every decision that we made was rooted and grounded in love. Just think of life examples. Think of parenting children. What if everything you did as you parented children was rooted and grounded in love? Choosing your employment. What if you chose what it was that you would set your career on out of love? What if making decisions about money was rooted in love? What if, what if your decision about what to do with your finances was grounded in love? What about deciding what to write in that email or post on Facebook was rooted in love before we posted it and grounded 
in love? What if everything that we did was rooted and grounded in love the way Paul prays here for the Ephesians? And not just our love, but God's pure love. That, says Paul, is the people that the church God intends. That is what he intends for believers. That's what he intends for the church. Everything to flow out of love. And that's who I hope we strive to be here at Lakeside. And remember, we started talking about Paul's prayer. We started, Paul said, you know, I bow my knees and this is how I pray. And we started out at the very beginning talking about prayer. Well, if you want a prayer to imitate, this is a good prayer to imitate. If we learn to, to pray in line with Scripture, if we want to reform our prayer to the things Paul thinks is most important, then we need to pray prayers like this. So when people ask you, how can they pray for you? Or how can they pray for this church? And I get caught up in this too. When people ask me, how can I pray for you? How can I pray for Lakeside? And I, and I immediately just go to, well, you can pray for my family. Or, you know, we have this new project. We've got this Saturday night service that's starting. You can pray that the Saturday night service goes well and that, you know, we just are blessed there. Or, or you know, you can pray for the Columbia team because they're away. And all of those things are good. But what if when people ask us, what can they pray for? We responded with the things Paul says he prays for. What if we just prayed for the basics? Pray that we have the knowledge of God's love. Pray that we're holy. Pray that Christ takes up residence in me. Pray that I have the power to grasp the limitless dimension of his love. Pray that I might be mature, that Christ would renovate and transform my heart. I rarely ask people to pray for me like that. But if we ask to be prayed for like that, if we are praying for each other like that, those are good prayers. And if we pray those prayers, we will be rooted and grounded and grow together in love. That is the church working as intended. Let's pray. Father God, we do pray that. And we're thankful that Paul prayed that for the Ephesians. And we know that by your Holy Spirit, he's praying that still through time and space for us because your word is living and active. And so your spirit is groaning on our behalf that we would know the unknowable, that we would be filled with the (laughs) infinite, that we would comprehend the incomprehensible, the width and height and depth and length of your love. And Father, that that's where our roots would go down deep and sink into the soil, down by that stream where the water is rich and pure so that we grow up even in drought, that we would be a strong tree that's full of shade and fruit for those that are around us, that we would have a firm foundation that we build up bricks and stones of love into a household of faith that is just brimming with your love. Not our love towards you, which is a good thing, Lord. We try to love you with our failing and wandering hearts. But Lord, that's not what this deep roots are in. That's not what this foundation is built on. Those would be weak roots and that would be a shaky foundation. No, these are roots and this is a foundation in your love towards us. And that's a totally different story. So Father... Make us as individuals rooted and grounded in love. Make us as a church working properly and intended together, rooted and grounded in love, so that we can grow up to be fully mature into the fullness of Christ Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.